Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics blog. I am Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. That's right, everybody. Half the egg, twice the basketball experience. And our good friend, Mike Minkoff. Hello, brothers Motenko. Um, Today, I have some apologizing to do. We'll get to that today. We were going to talk about the Kyrie smudging conversation we we brought up last time. We're going to hit the first game against the Bucks and preview the Brooklyn game coming after. But first, we brought up Kyrie's smudging. And uh, on Twitter, we got called out. Follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod. Mike, do you want to recap what happened? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, for those of you that listened to our last episode, you may recall that um the three of us the mostly josh and i uh were in discussion i was i was in a little bit of a arguably overreactive mood generally over the course of of the last episode um and when we turned our attention to uh Kyrie performing a pregame smudging ritual at the td garden um i was uh dismissive of the practice and i, I was characterizing it as a, a for show um kind of for the cameras action and um frankly it was completely inappropriate and and very culturally insensitive by me um josh kind of tried to uh save me from myself um trying to to distinguish you know some of the antipathy i and i think most celtics fans feel towards Kyrie for the way he left boston uh from a a, a totally um understandable uh application of, of kind of a a, a meaningful and culturally uh, significant practice oriented around um, creating a positive energy and, and, a, and a safe space. Um, so I want to sincerely apologize uh, for for the dismissiveness uh, with which I spoke about the smudging experience. Um, uh, after we recorded, um, I, you know, I, I did a little bit of self-education uh, spearheaded by, by some of Josh, Josh's comments and the conversation we had on the pod. Uh, and then the next day on, on Twitter, um, uh, at one Derwood, Derwood Vanderhoop, uh, called me out, um, and, and called this podcast out as well as a couple of other podcasts that we don't, we don't need to, to, to rope them in here, but, um, for, for having just really kind of thoughtless and dismissive takes about the, the smudging practice. Um, so, you know, we, A, I apologize to, to Durwood uh, then and there, but we wanted to invite Durwood onto this podcast to, to share his experience, his experience kind of observing Kyrie's practice. So Dur- Durwood Vanderhoop is from the Aquinawampanoag tribe in Massachusetts. He's a lifelong Celtics fan and has joined us today. So welcome, Durwood. Please introduce yourself. Wanikisa, good day. Natasawis Durwood Vanderhoop, Nutomas Aquina. Good day, everybody. Uh, my name is Durwood Vanderhoop. I am from Aquina. That's that's where my DNA, my 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 people are from. Uh, that's a, a small town on the western end of Martha's Vineyard Island, and I, I really uh, appreciate the invitation to to join you and and hopefully spread some. Um, understanding about Kyrie, uh, you know, his actions and and, uh, how we can view them in some uh, more, I think, progressive ways. Yeah, thank you, Derwood. What was Kyrie up to with the sage? 
Uh, you know, I can only uh, share what my general understanding uh, is of sage and what, what I've been taught. Um, it, it's sage is used uh, throughout uh, this country and, and, and beyond. Um, but by, by many uh, Native American peoples, uh, you know, my, my folks, you know, we use uh, sage, cedar, sweetgrass. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's very much like incense. Um, and we burn it uh, during ceremonies, uh, sometimes uh, just, just uh, at, at times when it's, uh, you know, we, we, I've been taught any time that, that you're, you're feeling, you know, like there's a need to uh, clear the air. Uh, it, it's not meant to, you know, bring some type of curse or or juju or a, any, uh, you know, any. Th th there's not supposed to be any maliciousness be behind uh, the, the use of it. At least in how I've always been taught, uh, it, it's really when you burn sage, you're supposed to be thinking good thoughts. Uh, you're you're uh, not even just about. You know, he's not. He shouldn't be doing it uh, for just his team. Even it's it. That's it's like, uh, you know, any time that, that that you're thinking and and using that, you, you're supposed to be doing things in a in a good way. And, um, you know, uh, I guess I can only speculate exactly what Kyrie may you know may be using it. But if it's similar to um, other Native people, uh, traditional practitioners that that I've uh, come in contact with, uh, that's I think what we can generally infer uh, what he was doing, um, and uh, whether it was uh, for the, the the cameras or or, or not, like uh, you know, uh, people I know, and and, and it's funny, uh, you know, KD mentioned that that you know, K Kyrie may be you know smudging before uh, engaging in a game of two K. Yeah, like, I saw know. that comment after. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny. It, 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 Hey, we we sometimes we do that. That's it, just a uh, people who are are used to um, connecting uh, with through sage or or through burning sage. Often they'll they'll pull it out at, at any time where they they just need a little bit of a boost and to get their mind in, in a good place. Um, and and some others around you know may be open to kind of accepting that as a something that that they appreciate and, and others you know you can just kind of go about your your day um but it, it's really pretty in, unintrusive unless you have a particular allergy possibly um which i, I i've known people to to have that um but it, it's uh it, it's something that i i can totally understand and, and see uh how and appreciate that that he's uh bringing that to both his home arena and wherever he's traveling to. Um, and I, I could totally understand if he's, you know, he said that he's planning to do that wherever he'll be, it, it will be accepted. And I hope it will be accepted other places. Yeah. I'm curious to hear more about what your reaction was to seeing smudging happening in the NBA uh, and, and maybe to Kyrie uh, representing that culture in, in the way he has. I thought it was really cool. I Native American people have, uh, been looking for uh, a kind of that role model uh, in the NBA for a, a long time. And um, it's really exciting it, it, for, for me. And I, I think for a lot of native people to, to have somebody that, that is really embracing their uh, roots and 
Yeah, I, I you know I I know I have a friend, at least one friend, if not more, that from the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. That you know, when I when I heard this, Kyrie was coming to Boston and uh, reached out to her. She was really, you know, she she had known for a, a bit longer than I had because uh, you know I, it, it took me a while to catch on that you know Kyrie was uh, you know was Native American and um, uh, to to see uh, your culture represented. I, I think it's a big thing. Uh, you know, we we talk about uh, other uh, NBA players. Uh, you know, Asian. Uh, you know, Jeremy Lin and. Um, you know, I'm sure you could go right on down the list of, of uh, folks who are uh, re- representing uh, their ethnicities or their uh, countries and how big it is for, for those countries to, you know, kind of have a, a player that they can look to and say, hey, that's, you know, that he's from he's from our folks. And, uh, you know, that's, I think, just such a big thing for, um, you know, both for myself and, you know, for my uh, kids and all the other, uh, you know, kids who uh, may also pray with sage and, you know, have families that, uh, you know, practice those kind of ways to, to see that, um, you know, on TV, I, I think is can be really encouraging. Yeah, Derwood, I, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, Mike, also, you know, I, at least from my perspective, I forgive you. And it takes a big man to apologize on the air like this. And, and uh, what better way to do it than to have the man who called you out here on the pod and, you know, have an educational conversation about it. I think this is great. My question though, you know, this, this is not just any Native American basketball player. This is Kyrie Irving with the, the Kyries, the shoes. This is Uncle Drew. This is also the guy who a lot of Celtics fans kind of saw as the team cancer there for a couple of years, the, the flat earther guy, you know, so it feels <laughs> like, you know, this is a, it's really loaded and there's a, a little bit more context that I want to try to unpack. At least I, I, what I'm thinking right now is just the main thing is it's really important to understand the, the difference between these cultural practices and maybe some other uh, practices that, that uh, we may need to be open minded towards. But, you know, maybe just put in a very different category. Right. Like like separating the two, the cultural stuff as being a part of his heritage and is what makes Kyrie great. You know, he's he's not just a basketball player. He's someone who actually is experimenting with who he is as a person, who his identity is as a man instead of just a hooper. And, you know, the things he does for the community is, is great. But for a lot of these Celtics fans, it's hard to, you know, every time we hear his name, it's just like, oh, what? You know, it triggers us right away, right? Including the three of us. There's definitely some triggering. <laughs> I, I understand it, man. It's uh, I've uh, followed Kyrie right along as a Celtics fan, and uh, totally get that. Sometimes you you hear something out of his, uh, you know, what he's putting out there, and and you wonder is this in that flat Earth category, or is he, you know, is he being real? Um, and that's 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 a that can be a tough one. So I I, I totally understand uh, how a, a lot of people, uh, you know, throughout the uh, sports media, you know, Boston sports media in, in particular, you know, I, I know you guys w- weren't the only ones. Um, I've heard it, uh, heard it today. Uh, you know, I somehow caught some of the radio guys and I don't, I usually listen to podcasts because I, I try to avoid those guys, honestly. Um, so I, I really appreciate you guys uh, being open and, you know, open to having a, a real uh, conversation about this and, uh, you know, try to unpack some of this uh, so that, you know, we can, yeah, figure, figure out what's, what's Kyrie being Kyrie and, 
um, you know, what we might take a, a little more seriously. And as a fan of Kyrie, are you are you a fan of him not being on the Celtics? <laughs> and that, that's a tough one. I I, uh, I loved him when he was here. Uh, followed the um, the whole kind of fallout, especially in, in that uh, the, the that uh, last playoff run. And I honestly, wasn't so sad to see him go, uh, just based on um, you know what a lot of the reporting was, whether whether he, Kyrie is just a kind of an enigmatic uh, guy to uh, follow. I, you know, I, I can't answer that. I, I don't know him personally and, uh, you know, don't, don't know enough. Um, but, you know, his talent is uh, without question. So, yeah, I, 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 I miss his, his talents. I'll say that. Yeah, he's he's undeniably talented. I think enigmatic is a, is a good word. I think he, he <laughs> has a... A, you know an interesting combination around him of kind of both simultaneously being misunderstood probably uh, a, a fair amount of the time but also managing to kind of do himself no favors and and mm. and put himself in kind of um you know create create challenges or situations where he gets perceived in a, in a negative light with some of the ways he can talk about kind of his engagement with teammates or, or things like that. You know, some of the conversation comments he had when he was on the Celtics and we don't need to go down that those, no, those not. not so fond memories, but um, you know, I did that. I, I was going to ask kind of a similar question Derwood as to whether kind of that, that, intersection of the significance of kind of the representation that Kyrie brings um, for for kind of an embrace of Native American his Native American um, heritage and, uh, and and cultural practices and the fallout from Boston did that did that has that does it currently uh, put you at odds with Boston Celtics fans about Kyrie um, I, I think only uh, so in as much as uh, people uh, aren't, are, I think are quick to, to judge, uh, particularly in this instance where where I, I think there was a a very quick trigger to dismiss um, dismiss him uh, smudging to, to burning sage as uh, just a stunt or something that was not not a a true representation of, of who he was as a, as a person. And, and that, that there's uh, some, some questioning of uh, maybe his ability to, to, to do that, or just, just that, yeah, it, it, it it's tough to, uh, to, to hear people uh, kind of just snicker at, at something that, that, that I, I know is, uh, is something that, that, uh, as a native person that, that I, I do have done frequently at times in my life and um, to feel that, that that was looked at as less than, um, you know, I, I think was, is, is really what, what really hit me. Yeah. Well, I, I, I truly can't tell you how much I appreciate you calling uh, me out and us out. Um, I, I really do apologize. Um, for for uh, trivialization uh, of that practice uh it's you know uh, it's unfortunate that i that i said what i said um i'm i'm appreciative that it's given us this op- the opportunity for this conversation um because it, for me it's certainly very important and significant one thing that that i wanted to 
that I was thinking about when we talked about it on the last podcast was the, the context of Kyrie in Boston, in, including this storyline that Kyrie uh, missed his, his first opportunity to come back to Boston. And this was the first time he actually came back to Boston. The fact that there were no fans in the arena, this wasn't the first time that Kyrie has missed uh, his first game back in the city that he left from. And there, there's almost the idea that he's like dodging the uh, engagement with the reality of his decision and what may be some um, negative response from the fans. Um, and and seeing, seeing the smudging happening, um, Boston has this, in the way that I think of it, this parochial sort of insular blue collar culture and I and I was just watching Kyrie smudging, assuming that he's he's doing a practice that that makes sense to him, um, and imagining the <laughs> Boston Celtics fans uh, with their and, and I think of that culture going back to the '80s Lakers Celtics rivalry, the view of of LA as as kind of like showy and and whereas Boston is is like hardworking and uh, diligent. And, and that the teams kind of represented that in, in their behavior as well. But I think some of that was was a, a narrative that was created. And I'm just imagining Boston fans seeing the smudging, not understanding it, but also kind of uh, with some vitriol towards Kyrie for his other behavior and, and seeing this, it's kind of totally wrapped up in all of that. Um, and and I, I'm curious, Durwood, how, how you kind of see that in, in the context of, of the Boston culture Along with this, this uh, I, I would say um, somewhat justified reaction to Kyrie saying that he would stay and then leaving and 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 not being uh, injured, uh, and I questioned whether that was actually true the, the first time the Nets came back. I I, I, I can totally understand uh, Boston fans be you know looking at Kyrie and thinking that. Maybe this was, uh, you know, definitely like exercising the demons uh, or or whatever bad energy was uh, may have come out of uh, him leaving the, the Celtics. Uh, totally can understand how somebody might might look at that and say, you know, he's just, you know, trying to like it, it's almost like he's doing something against Boston, right? Because you're that never you, even entered my this, mind. No, well, okay. Well, I, you know, sorry. Don't, I don't want to put, you know, words, words in your, are, are you being facetious or are you? No, no, no. The, the idea that he's like putting a hex on the garden or something like that, that, that honestly never entered my mind. It's more of like the, 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 the lack of, of um, engagement with, with the reality of the, the fact that he made a, he basically committed to stay verbally mm-hmm. to the season ticket holders and and seems to and then and then went back on that and appears to kind of be dodging the uh, engagement with the fact that he's now on a different team, like like come back get booed, sort of a thing. And I feel like I'm kind of representing what I'm imagining is a is a common Boston fan perspective. Like we, we want to boo you because <laughs> we're mad at you, <laughs> sort of a thing. Like, and and I mean I also think it's pretty ridiculous, but but I I think that that's I really do think that a lot of fans are feeling that way. And, and the idea of being in, in the empty arena without fans and kind of clearing the air and, and bringing sort of a, a positive energy to the 
creating a good vibe in the space that he's playing in. It's like, that's, that's not the vibe that, that would be here if fans were here. There's almost like a, a lack of reality and, and, and understanding of the situation that I think is, is often the representation that, that uh, Kyrie ends up having. I, I follow. Yeah. I, I think that Kyrie, if he's truly embracing um, this as a practice, I, I think it, that this won't be the, the only time that we see it. Um, if yeah. he comes back next year or later in the season, when f- fans are finally able to, to, uh, to be there, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's doing the same thing, but, but if he's not, then sure, we, we can uh, knock him and say, you know what, it, it was, uh, you know, maybe it was just a show. Um, but I, I think that I'm willing to, uh, at least give him the, the benefit, uh, at this point, um, what he's what he was doing is uh something that uh many of uh my friends uh family and and others uh do on a regular basis and uh it it's for us it's not it's not a big thing it's just uh you know how we connect um how we help to get our, ourselves focused um and you know that's that's just it, it it's uh it, for for me it, it's just as uh, impactful or thoughtful as uh, kneeling uh, with with uh, your teammates or others and, and having a before game prayer or uh, any, anything of that sort. Um, you know, yeah. you, you could put it right up there with uh, KG, uh, you know, and his, uh, uh, what is it, yeah. talcum powder or whatever he does. It, you know, maybe that's a little bit, you know, for show, but, you know, it's, it's just something to get to get focus it's another way that that a, a whole other uh segment of uh the population of the, in in this country uh gets prepared sometimes for the day sometimes for some quiet time sometimes for uh in in preparation for whatever they have to do um you know whatever task is before them yeah, yeah there's to- Hold on, Josh, just to jump in. I, I I was thinking about what I had said on the last podcast about this, like thinking about the context of Kyrie doing this in the garden in Boston. And it's really the wrong way to look at it. Uh, it's not Kyrie bringing this thing into that environment. Uh, it's really the fact that, that that practice that Kyrie is doing and Native American practices, that was the original context that, that, the, that Boston and the garden are now in. Um, so it's really the odd thing is that is that Boston is that we've built up all of this stuff on on native land. Uh, so he's he's really bringing back the the original practice uh, potentially of of this this region. Go ahead, Josh. Well, no. Uh, do we know what land the Fleet Center or the Auerbach Center is built on? You know, the original... well, I'm assuming it's actually like filled in land in, in from the ocean, but I'm speaking generally about the region. Uh, my my people would say that that, that that's Wampanoag land. Uh, there's uh, some people who do uh, claim uh, roots to the Massachusetts peoples. Um, my understanding is is that we're pretty much one and the same. But they're, they're, you know uh, we're uh, the Wampanoag uh, peoples were made up of at least uh, 69 um, tribes. Uh, you know prior to uh, European contact. Uh, there are currently uh, two rec- federally recognized tribes 
uh, federally recognized means that we have a government to government relationship with the uh, United States government and that that uh, that relationship recognizes that we are the original people of this land that that our government predates the US government Massachusetts colony and and whatever the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and and any other uh, government that that is uh, sprung up since um, there's uh, uh, just to our uh, southwest is uh, Narragansett country, which is a good chunk of Rhode Island. Uh, Nipmuc country is uh, often uh, considered out towards the, the west of us, uh, much of western Massachusetts. There was uh, uh, the Mohican people who uh, were largely uh, displaced and, and moved. Um, I, I think many wound up in uh, Wisconsin. Um, but there are, there, there definitely, and, and there are very, there are many of the smaller, uh, not, I won't say smaller, but many of the other remnant uh, tribes, there are still people that, that uh, understand and recognize heritage um, to, to some of the uh, smaller tribes um, throughout the Commonwealth. There's, you know, all these places that have Indian uh, names, uh, Seekonk, uh you know, you, you can go right on down the, uh, a list, but, uh, you know, there's, there's many towns out there that, that are named after the, the tribes that were originally there. Um, yeah, it seems like it's uh, a common practice to do land recognition statements, right, at least before events. You know, maybe one day we'll have that at the Fleet Center or, you know, during practices at the Auerbach Center, you know, uh, adopting that cultural practice of recognizing where are we actually, like whose land is this, right? Obviously our gym is here. And you know, Mike, you had a question about the facility, right? I, I did. Um, Derwood, I, you know, you're, you've, you've mentioned kind of how, how meaningful it was to kind of see Kyrie um, perform it, performing uh, the smudging, um, you know, as, as his kind of mode of preparation and focus, one part of my reaction to that is it honestly just it, it felt a little strange just to see something that involved kind of lighting a fire and creating smoke in an NBA arena. Um, and I I've been thinking a lot since since you you tweeted at me at us um, trying to figure out if that's just me being, you know, uh, a kind of closed off person unfamiliar with this practice or if it's like a fire safety thing um and i'm kind of i'm curious what your reaction is to that kind of thought or reaction by me i think it's a natural reaction to, to sometimes see uh smoke and you know think you know that that can't be safe uh but from from my experience uh, generally people have, will have a, a, a shell that's uh, very contained the 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 uh, the sage or, or whatever uh, that person may be using as a smudge it, it, they really generally burn very much like incense um, some so I've, I've seen sage get a little bit out of you know a little bit out of control and, and make a lot of smoke but never enough to be a truly a fire hazard um, you, you'd have to really put some effort into um, you know, making uh, to to making a, a a fire from from a something that that's being burned in in uh, uh, in the correct way. 
Dude, if Red Auerbach were alive today, you know he'd be lighting up victory cigars, <laughs> and they and would there make you an go, exception right? for it. That, that that's true. That this the the Boston, old Boston Garden certainly was not a smoke-free facility by any <laughs> any it, uh, any easy, stretch. It's easy to think about like even player empowerment. This being the player empowerment era, and like oh, well, they're gonna let Kyrie go and do this thing that he wants to do. Like it's easy to have that perspective when it comes to Kyrie, but we got to make sure that we we set the line you know there's the intersection of culture and sports is is i think really interesting like if you look at the celtics just recently the the superstition like the the ubuntu thing that the 2008 team adopted the idea of family you know isn't that a zulu you know native south african cultural uh philosophy yeah. right i mean so that's that's native, right? And if this was a baseball podcast, let's say for example, too, I mean, just think about the amount of like symbolic habits and practices that hitters have with their baseball gloves and all the superstitions, and and th that's meaningful symbolic behavior by athletes. You know, that's accepted in one sport, but we don't really have that in basketball. Um, so I think Kyrie is promoting this cultural practice and you know reminding NBA fans, I think, just to be open minded towards cultural differences and i think this is important you know it's a shame that we react so hard to these to Kyrie and the the things that he says because he does say some ridiculous things and maybe that comes with being open-minded you know but phil jackson you know as i mentioned on the last pod he he would have uh practices with the drums and with ceremony and with meditation in the locker room with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and all those Bulls teams that you know was the first time at least in my understanding that practices like that from other cultures came into you know the locker room you know before historically coaches and and sports locker rooms have always had war analogies you know coaches even white coaches for a long time have been quoting Lao Tzu and different books about war you know because of the the analogy with sports um but Durwood you got to count Phil Jackson I think in this conversation because he he brought this into the mainstream for the first time for me as a coach he was you know an idol of mine because of that you know my two people i looked up to growing up as a young coach was red Auerbach and phil jackson um but there's there's uh four nba players at least that i found in nba history who were native american one the first one in the late 1950s uh named ironically phil jordan uh, Bison Dele in the 90s with the Bulls in the early 2000s, Grant Hill Pistons. Cherokee Parks in the late 90s and early 2000s. He was a, one of the high draft picks on KD's old Timberwolves teams in Minnesota. And Ron Baker, when I looked that up, I, I didn't know he was native. He played for the Knicks for a couple of years, uh, drafted three years ago out of Wichita State. Last year he played in, in Russia uh, or in Europe on Jessica Moscow. So he's out of the league. You know, but we've had this cultural intersection for a while, even outside of Native American, but still in indigenous tribes. You've had Patty Mills, who's an Aboriginal indigenous Australian, and Stephen Adams, who's Maori indigenous New Zealander. You know, this is a global game. So Kyrie promoting open-mindedness, I think, is really important, or at least, you know, if you're a basketball fan, you kind of have to be okay with social justice, it feels like these days, with the Black Lives Matter movement. And, and that's, I think, what makes basketball special. Um, yeah. Right on. I, I, uh, I didn't know all of those, uh, players. Uh, I, I think that 
some of them might not have been so, uh, you know, may not have uh, put out their their connections yeah. as as much as uh, Kyrie seems to be uh, doing. I, I'll also add, uh, my understanding is that Delonte West, our, our old uh, oh, yeah. pal, uh, has some. Uh, uh, his mother, I believe, was Piscataway. Is uh, that's something that that as soon as I heard that, you know, ten plus years ago. Um, you know, I, I, I was like, all right, cool, man. Like that's, uh, was exciting, but you know, none of them were, uh, as, uh, open, uh, about it as, uh, Kyrie has been. Um, so I I think that's maybe just the, the, the slight difference with, with Kyrie is, you know, and Kyrie is, you know, he's a, a bona fide superstar, right? I, you know, as as much as it might be hard to admit, uh, uh, or much as uh, we in Boston might uh, not not love Kyrie so much uh, anymore, <laughs> but uh, you know, I I think you gotta gotta give him that. No, he's he's we do. He's undeniably a superstar. Uh, he's wildly popular, um, and you know his actions. Uh, have the eyeballs of millions and millions of people on them. Um, and so, you know, uh, the the amplification of, of what he's representing is, is really significant. Um, certainly it, it helped kind of direct uh, us towards this uh, meaningful exchange um, and, and uh, certainly helped uh, with my education um, and, and growth as, as a person. Um, you know, Durwood. Before before we um, uh, uh, see you go, we we did want to ask real quick a couple of, a couple of kind of you know we are a Celtics uh, focused podcast here, so we did have a couple quick Celtics questions for you. Um, one, you know, coming out of the out of the preseason, what are you hoping for as we as we look to the first week? of the regular season. How are you feeling? Just quick, quick thoughts, quick, <laughs> quick reactions and feelings. Oh my goodness. It's uh, th- those were some rough games, brothers. That, that's uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that those were, you know, that uh, Brad and, and team are, you know, giving us a little rope-a-dope or, you know, trying to throw off the competition by uh, playing uh, at less than peak, uh, levels <laughs> that is yeah that is a generous perspective <laughs> yeah man I, I you know I, right now I, I, what is it the growth mindset I, I, i'm hoping that we're this is uh as low as we can go and that it, we're gonna get better every game because uh you know i i just hope that, that, that that's not a uh, accurate representation of where we're gonna be uh you know even just a couple games into the season but you know hope you know i i, I am hoping that we uh can all grow and uh you know bring some uh, good excitement back to uh to the Celtics fans who's your uh, your favorite Celtics player Derwood uh, give, me, I, give me give me your favorite all-time Celtics player and then your favorite player on this team currently gosh uh definitely uh i think marcus is uh marcus smart is uh my favorite current player you, you, you can't uh you, you can't uh watch him and not not be you know fall in love um all time gosh i i don't even know if i i i, I love them all man like i'm a true fan <laughs> uh <laughs> um yeah i i, I was 
saw some of the the big three. I didn't get to see them enough. I I really started uh, got a, a cable uh, subscription during the uh, mid to late uh, mid, well early to mid nineties. So. I watched a lot Oof. of bad basketball. <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> Wrong time. <laughs> you missed. Yeah, yeah. It was re- really tough. My friends used to, you know, used to uh, make fun of me and, and talk about all the bad guys, uh, Marty Conlon and, uh, gosh, all of those other uh, guys that were tough to watch. Um, you know, I, I still still love them, but, man, you know, they, they, they could be really tough. Uh, you know, all time. You know, I, I really love uh, Pierce and, and Garnett uh, in, in the more uh, modern days. Uh, maybe like an Eric Williams uh, in the early two thousands. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> they, they watched them at, yeah, I watched them at Providence, and you know, saw him come here. Um, you know, he's a just a you know the, the blue collar guy, right? Yeah, yeah. You're a big Ryan Gomes fan, I assume. There you go, man. Right on. <laughs> well, Kerwood, you fit right in here with the pod. Marcus Smart is all of our favorite Celtics currently as well. Uh, so nice. we appreciate you coming on. And uh, just want to throw a few other names out for any listeners who are interested in doing your own research or, or reading more about the intersection of social justice or culture in general, uh, other cultures besides Western white culture, and the intersection of that and, and basketball and sports in general. Sherman Alexi has written a lot about uh, basketball on native reservations and, and basketball and native culture as well. Um, Res Ball, I believe, is still up on Netflix, so go watch that documentary about uh, basketball on native reservations. And Dave Zirin is, uh, has been writing for 20 years about social justice and culture and sports and that intersection and has some really amazing books, including The People's History of Sports. Um, so go check all that out. Let me just add to that list, Josh. If you're in Massachusetts, go read up on the Aquina Wampanoag tribe uh, based in Martha's Vineyard. That is Durward's tribe. He mentioned Aquina.org is the cultural center. He's on the board of that. You can go read about them um, as well. The Mashpee Wampanoag uh, is the other uh, of the two uh, recognized tribes that he mentioned. And you can find a lot of information on, on smudging uh, inform- online as well. Uh, so check that out. Durward, appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Derwood. Really appreciate it. Katapatanamu, I really uh, appreciate you, you guys' openness to uh, to having me on, and uh, all the best to you. Thanks for letting me uh, share uh, share uh, some of my uh, knowledge. Let's move on to the upcoming games here. First game, Josh is against the Milwaukee Bucks and a newly signed to an extension, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Josh, what are you um, excited about seeing, looking out for in this first game? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's going to be a test for us. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of lineups Brad has. You know, oftentimes in the play in the preseason, you're looking at a lot of guys and giving them minutes or starting them a la Javante Green. And that's probably not going to happen in the regular season, but you know, with Brad Stevens, I feel like you kind of never know. Um, but this is definitely a retooled Milwaukee Bucks squad. Um, I feel like for the last several years, you know, Giannis has been trying to get this three-point shot or at least a reliable mid-range shot down. And, you know, he, he's been a little bit hit or miss. And I think that's shown its ugly head in the playoffs a little bit. Um, but I feel like the, the supporting cast has also kind of been hit or miss as shooters throughout the last few years. And that supporting cast is completely retooled. 
Um, and so I'm kind of excited to see how we do against this uh, juggernaut team. I'm going to call them that. And how they do incorporating all their new guys with Tory Craig and, um, you know, Bobby Portis and Bryn Forbes and Marvin Williams and DJ Augustine and those guys. You know, it's a whole new revamped team supporting, you know, Giannis and Middleton and, and Brooke Lopez. Obviously, the Drew Holiday thing is one thing to watch. Is he going to shoot, you know, 38% like he has previously in his career or 32% like he has previously uh, from three in his career? And can he stay healthy throughout the year? You know, that, those are the question marks for Drew Holiday because potentially he's the guy that brings them to the next level that can do, you know, more damage and get all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals and, and the Finals. Um, but this first game, you know, it's a test. And I hope we show up uh, and kind of follow a lead and an example that's set by Tatum and Brown in terms of their playmaking and their ability to take care, to take care of the ball you know, and that everybody else kind of falls in line and takes care of the ball as well. Because it seems like we, we believe that we can take care of the ball, but can those two guys lead by example in that regard and really make plays for others? That's what I'm still waiting to see. You know, obviously we know our studs are going to play big minutes, but would you want to see more Robert Williams? You know, obviously Tice is ready to go. Do you want to see big minutes from Robert Williams? Do you want to see big minutes from some of the other guys? What do you think I, about the I expect. Guy? I expect to see a big minutes from uh, Shemi Ojale just because Giannis is in the game, and uh, and we got rookies coming off the bench needing big minutes from them. Um, I'm curious about uh, have you guys seen any reports on on injury news for Tristan Thompson? Is he going to be playing game one? Yeah, I can't tell. It was it was a little unclear. He played in a he did a, ran a full practice, I believe, on Saturday. Um, which was an encouraging sign and suggested he might be available for game one. I would love to see, you know, I, I imagine even if he is kind of playing in game one, he'll be a bit minutes restricted. It's going to be his first game, so he's not going to be kind of fully integrated into everything the Celtics do quite yet. But, um, you know, I part of my excitement about him was his potential to just um, guard Giannis one-on-one, uh, and he's a much more dynamic option on both sides of the ball than Shemi Ojale. Um, so, you know, I, I would love to be able to kind of watch us match up against the Bucks with him uh, at full strength. Um, so I'm curious to see if that happens. Um, you know, I think Robert Williams has, I, I, I come out, came out of the preseason feeling like he's got a lot to prove. Um, uh, he's, he's just so, so uncertain um and i feel like the flashes of kind of excitement or uh are are not frequent enough or certainly not as frequent as i was gonna i was hoping they would be at this point in his career largely because of a combination of injuries and just uh that that leading to less less playing time once he is healthy uh but behind the curve so i i i want him to earn it i don't want him to get a lot of extended run if both Tice and Thompson are healthy and good to go. Um, he's, I want him to play his way into that rotation because those are two very good players. I'm expecting two losses here in these first two games. I hate to say. I mean, I predicted we were going to be like six and nine or five and 10 in our first 15. So I, I'm with you, Adam. Um, <laughs> I'm, you're, I'm, you're I'm worried. The preseason. I'm just reacting to the, uh, to, to what this team looks like at this point in the season. Which, which how, is that, how is that different? 
It hasn't changed. Nothing in the preseason. I, I, I honestly don't think that's going to matter. I think you'll have tightened rotations in these first two games. I mean, mostly I, the Milwaukee and, and Brooklyn are just really good. This is uh, this first game against Milwaukee. I, I just need to prep everybody, including you know, especially you, Mike. The this will be a Shemi Ojale game. The reason the Celtics love Shemi Ojale is because his defensive stats against one player in the NBA are, you know, top notch. Supposedly, that one player is Giannis Antetokounmpo. We will see Shemi anyway. I think you know, in the beginning of this season, just because of Brad's. Uh, you know, in my opinion, mistaken trust in him over other guys on the roster. But you know, if if any game was the game to to temper your expectations ahead of time and know that you're going to be watching some semi out there, this Milwaukee game is that game. So if he doesn't play well, just I told you so. Just temper those expectations ahead of time. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to to a, a big week here because we got the Nets right afterwards, um, and then on Sunday. We got the Pacers, and uh, that's the the first of two games in a row against Indiana. So you know it's a big week to start this this season, I think. And uh, Adam, you're predicting zero and three in the first three games, including the Pacers. Or do you think we can get one? I think we can get one. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think one and two is possible at the end of those three games. I mean, to answer your earlier question, well, first of all, Josh, I don't appreciate being singled out when we all dislike Shemi. I just, I just am more outward about it. <laughs> I, hey, but are you ready for what you're about to see? Do you, are you aware that he's going to play big minutes in this game? Because if clearly, not, clearly not. I was apoplectic yeah. after preseason, yeah. so no, I'm going to see uh, her again. That's yeah. why I'm reminding you. Hey, this is a Giannis game. Yeah, We're but you guys tried to keep me level at preseason. That didn't work. So you might as well just save your breath. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, as far as what I want to, I mean, obviously, I want to see what Pritchard and Neesmith do. I want to see how much time they're going to be given. I, I, you know, I think you were kind of alluding to this in the way that Brad is likely to overplay Shemi in general early in the season. He tends not to give rookies a lot of run. Like Grant Williams got less run than we wanted all season last year. Um, so I'm curious to see if, you know, if Neesmith gets more than like two, three minute stints, right. you know, one in each half, or if he actually gets like, you know, 15 minutes in the rotation. Uh, I'm curious. I, I have a feeling that Pritchard might get closer to 15 minutes in the rotation just based on how the preseason rotations were doing were going and and how early he came off um the bench in those rotations i certainly am am hopeful to see uh grant williams be impactful i'm hopeful that some of the um let's let's say rushed decision making uh by brown and smart really was just a uh, a, a function of preseason and not not a, uh, a, a sign of what's to come. Uh, but, but we'll see on that. <laughs> Mike, you are going to be disappointed for the first half of the season. There is going to be a transition period where they are going to have to learn to uh, pass and see the floor and run the offense in the way that you're hoping for uh, in these new roles. Tatum, the, the team did score. They outscored their opponents with Tatum on the floor. So Tatum and Brown are going to play more minutes than they did in the preseason. I actually expect Brown to be the most consistent player on the Celtics early in the season. Uh, I think he showed that in the bubble. I think he's going to uh, end up getting opportunities off of of Tatum. 
who is going to see the defense is just key in completely on him. Um, so hopefully, hopefully Marcus Smart, uh, I do expect him to to run the offense better than he showed in the preseason. Hopefully that was a fluke. And hopefully um, he continues to shoot above league average from three. Mike, are you, are you, are you afraid of uh, Marcus Smart's recent comments about his shooting? Oh my God. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I got so excited. So basically he started by saying, I'm really going to focus on my shot selection this season. So I saw that. I was like, yes. Oh my God. It's all happening. But then he immediately followed that up by saying, when I'm open, I'm definitely shooting. I'm a great shooter when I take great shots. And is he talking about off the dribble? Because isn't he, wasn't he a top he was two he was like w- like a top two or top three off the dribble three point shooter last year? Um, but you know, I I just struggle to embrace a, the, that series of sentences that to me suggests that we're going to see a lot of yes, you're unguarded, Marcus, but it's 22 seconds left on the shot clock and you're just rushing a shot up with no rebounders in position type of offense from Marcus smart that he's just characterized as quote unquote, great shots. Um, that's, that's how I interpreted that series of, of, uh, of comments from him. Josh, yeah. uh, I know you want to yell at me, so go ahead. Bring yeah. it. I think you're, I think you're taking one tweet and one quote and you're kind of bending it a little bit out of context. Is that not I'm the sure. point of fandom? I'm confused. <laughs> I'm sure Marcus Smart has been taught the difference between good shots and great shots. You know, good shots are when you're open. Great shots are when you're open and you've got, you know, some teammates in rebounding, inside rebounding position. You know, there's been some ball movement. Everybody's touched it. It's in the flow of the offense. Right, he knows what a good shot is and a, and what a bad shot is, and he knows that he takes too many bad shots. And he's regurgitating information the coaches have told him. You're a great shooter when you take great shots, and I'm sure they're sitting down and defining. Here's what a great shot is, and I'm sure the numbers. I'm sure there are some numbers that show that he's a really great shooter in certain situations. And I'm sure the coaching staff is trying to highlight these are the situations in which you you've been great, and the numbers back that up. You know, because we do have a staff that cares about uh, analytics like that. So, you know, but and and at the same time, we know who Marcus Smart is. We know that this is his, you know, uh, the the way that he sees reality a little bit differently. And right, maybe his mistake that he keeps making over and over again. And and maybe he's always going to be like that just a little bit. He's always going to be a guy who's going to save the game for you. But along the way, he's going to make some plays that seem like boneheaded plays that make you smack your forehead. Um, and that's what you get with Marcus Smart. And and we want that because at the end of the game is when he really becomes a superstar. You know, it's almost like you don't want Rondo during the season, but you want Rondo in the playoffs. Like you got to put up with a little bit of that because he's he's going to come through for this team when it really matters. No, you. I mean, in all seriousness, look, there's a reason we all love Smart and it's because he does have just a truly elite, elite compete level. Um, but yeah, everybody's got kind of their, their weaknesses as a player, you know, he's, he's not, while he's a superstar for us as Celtics fans, he's not like a true superstar. And to be a true superstar, your weaknesses have to be, you know, really relatively minimal or modest or, or outweighed by enough kind of just, uh, elite level skills that, that you kind of transcend it all. And, and Marcus is, is a little below that level, but he's, 
Um, he he brings it in the in the moments that matter most. Um, you know, I, I am encouraged by the idea that even he's he's outwardly talking about and acknowledging kind of a need to improve shot selection. You know, I I, I trust that you are right, Josh, and that. Uh, there is kind of a, a dedicated focus in the conversations with him about the you know what is a truly great shot, and if if the coaches are defining truly great shots in the way that most of us fans are are hoping, um, and and that is what Marcus is dedicated towards sticking to, I think that's a really actually very encouraging um, development. Yeah, like like Adam said, you could have just said what Adam said. You know, all that matters is that he shoots that league average from three, that thirty six percent. Isn't that his jersey number, 36? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes it is. <laughs> yeah. On your jersey, Marcus. That's what we need from you, bro. All right, well, the uh, NBA season 2020-21 tips off this Wednesday, tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m. at home at the Garden with the Bucks coming into town, and then Kyrie comes in to the Garden for the real, the real comeback. Uh, hopefully he burns some sage. And hopefully uh, he doesn't play as well as he did last time. Uh, because, Adam, you're right, that Nets team is going to be difficult to beat. They're, they're loaded. Um, and that's all happens right before we go on the road for our first road trip to Indiana. But I'm excited. You know, let's, let's do this. Ubuntu, game time, hua, all that. Let's go. <laughs> Self-describe. Thanks for listening. Peace out.